This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast, hosted on the Be Here Now Network, and my guest today is Sarah Bamford-Seidelman. Sarah, thanks so much for joining me. Super psyched to be here, Chris. As I am to have you on the show. Um, so before we jump into this conversation, just want to give the audience a quick background on you and share your bio. Uh, Sarah Bamford-Seidelman was a physician living a nature-starved hectic lifestyle until a walrus entered her life and changed everything. (laughs) I love that. She is (laughs) trained at the Martha Beck Institute and Michael Harner's Foundation for Shamanic Studies and is author of Swimming with Elephants, which was published in 2017 by uh, Canary Press, I believe, and the Book of Beasties, which we'll be exploring today, uh, your A to Z guide to the illuminating wisdom of spirit animals from our dear friend Sound True, which was uh, just published last month in July. Sarah lives in northern Minnesota. And for more information, please visit followyourfeelgood.com. Or if you're checking this out right on the Be Here Now webpage, simply scroll down a little bit and right around the show notes, you will see a link to her website as well as the book. So all of that said, again, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Yes, I'm excited just to dive into the beasties. That's right, <laughs> as am I. I have a story I'm excited to share with you, but before we even get to that, and, and of course, beastie-related, um, I like <laughs> to, uh, with guests, generally start and just get a little background about you. I always, I love hearing people's stories of what led them um, to the path that they are on today. You know, in your bio, it says that you were a physician living a nature-starved hectic lifestyle. Um, And of course, I want to hear about that walrus incident. But even (laughs) leading up to that, can you tell me a little bit about your life and and the trajectory, you know, it it sent you on into this field that you're now endeavored upon? Yeah, well, looking back, you know, I was a pretty, uh, a pretty sensitive kid, um, and spent a lot of time in the creeks around my house growing up and like in the snow banks when it got cold, which it often did. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
and was really na- like obsessed with animals. We're, I wasn't allowed to have any pets because my mom was allergic to animals. So, but my love, you know, the um, Marlon Perkins uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, like that show when it came on, the world stopped, you know, and I leaped onto the couch to, <laughs> to study every move that the animals were making. And I always just thought it was so, I think there's a big part of me who loved adventure. I was super a big, you know, kind of a risk-taking kid, um, I would say. Now that I know my own kids, sometimes I'm like, my husband and I have four kids, three of whom are adopted, and one who's a birth child who's not really a risk-taker at all, which always surprises me. And the other ones, they're very different from me. And I think, wow, you guys aren't like stealing liquor at age 13 and, you know, doing all these crazy things that I was always doing, trying to kind of find my feel-good somehow. Right. Uh, yeah, so anyway... Fast forward, decided to enter medicine partially because my dad was a doctor, my grandpa was a doctor, my great grandpa was a doctor, and it seemed like, well, I didn't really have any better ideas, and it seemed like my dad really enjoyed his work, and I thought I I could help people, you know, in this way. Um, But as a medical student, I encountered one, well, many different things, but one patient in particular that really who was a young woman on the on the cancer ward who was uh, dying, basically. I mean, just to make a story short. And I remember feeling so inept, like we were missing some huge part of what was supposed to be happening to help this person. And I just was like kind of torn apart by the experience. I mean, I think looking back, it just broke my heart. I didn't know what to do. Mm. And I knew that what we were doing was terribly inadequate you know we were sort of trying to raise her platelet level you know something mechanistic which of course you know was the goal but uh medically speaking but that's sort of what i ended up just deciding to dodge my hero's journey at that point you know on the joseph campbell's right. you know oh yeah the hero refuses the first time around and i <laughs> sure as hell was just like uh-uh nope i'm yeah. not doing this because i can't see how it could work so I went into pathology, which was sort of this, I became a disease hunter and uh, I knew it was something I could be good at and I knew it was something I could be helpful with. And it would also allow me to avoid the uncomfortable question of how the hell do you help people in the way that I long to help them? I don't under, I don't know how to do that. Mm. Um, and then that came back, you know, 20 years went by of residency and practice and my husband and I had a family and I think it was around the third kid arriving that things just kind of started to unravel for me at work. And I just started feeling less and less engaged in my disease hunting. (laughs) And I also realized that that wasn't uh, inconsequential. Like that was potentially dangerous to be uninterested in what I was doing because, you know, when you're a pathologist, you're staring into a microscope, you know, for example, you're staring at a pap smear with a hundred thousand cells on it. You know, maybe four of them are malignant. You better be awake at the wheel while you're staring at this because it's no joke. Somebody could, bad things could happen. So eventually took a sabbatical uh, well, and there were a lot of, as Chris, as you can imagine, you know, the transformational awakening process, it's not pretty and it, it goes, it's just a lot of things happen, but to make, put the cliff notes version to it, sure. I went on a sabbatical. Um, and during that radical sabbatical, that's when I started spending more time out in nature. And that's when I stumbled into this walrus and this idea that somehow the walrus actually might have a message for me, <laughs> you know, that could help me. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so there was this walrus that was hanging on the wall. It was taxidermied, actually. It wasn't a live walrus for anybody who was concerned on the call that I was, like, 
<laughs> by a walrus. I was not. But it was really got my attention. And I went actually back to visit it a few times thinking, what is it? What I took a picture of it. I was kind of like, what am I supposed to buy you? The walrus was like $4,000, which oh also just seemed so it seemed like a lot of money for a gal who was on a sabbatical and not making any money. <laughs> and so what I, I, I tried to cobble together a message. And so I, I started researching walruses. And one thing I noticed as I watched videos of them is that, you know, walruses are pretty relaxed. You know, you see them laying on a beach. They're kind of surrendered. They're kind of flopping about. And they're not really like they're not in their head like cringing over what they said after three glasses of Chardonnay to their neighbor about something <laughs> or panicking about how to pay for college, you know, for your kid who's five, you know, they're just walrusing. They're kind of yeah. doing their thing. And if they get hungry, they eat. If they want to sleep, they rest. And then the other thing I learned about them is that they're apex predators, meaning they have no competition essentially. I mean, rarely a polar bear will tangle with the walrus, but it's kind of unusual. And so they don't have a lot of competition. You know, they just, if they could just, they just be themselves, they do their thing and they don't have any competition. So I started thinking to myself, well, maybe if I could manage to be Sarah and just relax a little and kind of just be as me as I could be, that maybe perhaps if I could find a new, some sort of vocation, new job, maybe I wouldn't have any competition. Should I choose to like write a book or should I choose to, you know, become a life coach or something like wacky like that, you know? <laughs> right, right. And that thought gave me a lot of peace because I was otherwise utterly in a bit of a panic that summer thinking, oh gosh, because the farther I got away from the hospital, the more I was like, I really don't want to go back there. Like, it just feels like every fiber in my being is screaming, like, keep exploring other things. Mm. This isn't where you're meant to be. Yeah, which I can very much relate in different circumstances, but for me... Um, I was actually in school at the time and I was finishing up an internship for counseling to help uh, with people that struggle with substance abuse, much like myself. And I'm halfway through the internship and my heart just was so not in it. It was when I started, but doing this internship, there was so much paperwork. It was more paperwork than working with clients or residents. And I learned that that's the way that it is, um, unfortunately, um, when you're in this field. And so my heart just wasn't in it. And I didn't have a spirit animal experience in this regard, but I did have one that I'm excited to share with you and get your, your thoughts on. But mm -hmm. um, the relation I, I, or the resonance I have with what you just shared is that it was something intuitive within me that I couldn't make sense of because I had no prospects of doing something else with the exception of this website that I just felt so called to do. And so I did, I left the internship really followed through on the website and writing more. And now here I am many years later and three books deep into it and speaking. And it's just incredible what, um, what is possible when we take that, that leap and, and yeah. really tune into our intuition. And, um, and so that's what I love about this book. I can say I've never had a guest on the show to talk about what you call beasties, which I am more familiar with. And I think probably any of our or most of our listeners would recognize more as um, like a spirit animal or a power animal. Mm -hmm. So that said, you you have this term beasties, which I, I love. It's, <laughs> it's very it sounds much more contemporary um, and, and hip. So can you can you tell me a little bit about the word beastie is is that yeah. essentially a different term for spirit animals or, or what does it mean in your experience 
Yeah, well, it kind of bubbled up when I, I started a podcast that summer, just thinking, I'm really intrigued about this. Like, I wonder if other people are interested in this this idea that animals have messages for us. Yeah. And as we started talking about, all the, you know, it sort of became a shorthand for covering everything from like a ladybug up to um, something more mythical, like a phoenix or a unicorn. Mm. I mean, I started to realize that this didn't just include things that are, it could be extraordinary things, you know. So beasties sort of began to compass literally the, be you know, the creatures that we're encountering in our dreams and our real life, but also the spiritual aspect of them. So it can be spirit animal, or you can, you can just apply, you know, for like my sister, um, you know, I think she thinks of it as more like this, you know, looking at the biology of the animal, which I, you know, show you how to do that, mm -hmm. um, too. So you can look at it from that level too. And I don't think that's wrong. I think we all come at it from a different angle. And I certainly started at it from a biology angle because, you know, being a physician, it was like, well, that was very natural for me. Sure. Um, and still do. But now I've grown to have a much deeper appreciation and more of a, yeah, definitely a spiritual relationship with some <laughs> of the beasties. <laughs> Yeah, which it shows. I mean, I'm I'm so impressed. Like this book has, like every kind of animal and 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 uh, beyond that you can think of, with incredible illustrations. So many really interesting um, facts and tidbits, and then the relation um, that they share. I'm I'm flipping through it right now, and um, I mean, really, Sunstreet just did such a tremendous job. But I love on the cover. Um, I wish this is one of those times I wish this was a visual program because, you know, you have this nice badger on the cover. I love badgers. It's so nice to see that there and lovely, <laughs> um, you, you know, elephant and giraffe and all kinds of awesome stuff. So, yeah, so much to unpack in this book. Um, one more question I want to ask and then I want to share this experience that I had with you and, and see your thoughts on it. Um, what I find interesting is you talk about in the book a core beastie and a guest beastie and questions to ask yourself um, when these different types of beasties start to show up in your life. Now, for me, I have what I would consider two um, beasties in my life that resonate. Mm -hmm. And um, one, because for me in a lot of my writing, I like to write about both the light and the shadow because I think that yeah. the shadow is often kind of, you know, negated or shied away from, especially in spiritual um, conversations. But um, being a big fan of someone like Young's work, for instance, it that's where some of, if not the greatest work um, in our lives lies is uncovering yes. this unconscious material that is shadow material. So for me, my, I would say my kind of core beastie is that a, a is a deer. I have always mm -hmm. felt a deep resonance with deer. I run out in nature, always see deer. Um, and it just, they're so soft and still and gentle with the mm -hmm. exception of one time <laughs> I was running on a, <laughs> in a very isolated, like woodsy area and a, and a, a baby deer ran across the road and I'm like, Oh, that's so cute. And then the mother deer came hauling up from the field and oh, like made a screaming sound at me. I've never heard a deer make a sound. And I was like, oh, <laughs> bugling or something, a warning bugle. Totally. Yes. I was like, oh, my gosh. So it startled me and I ran on. But anyways, um, wow. so I love deer. And then the other one, which is just as gorgeous as an animal, is a goat. And I love goats mm. because to me, they're often related with things of, of occult nature or sacred geometry or, you know, maybe mm -hmm. that shadow element. So yeah, those are, those are mine. And, 
and yeah, I don't know if one's a core, one's a guest. Um, so I don't know if, if you can use those as an example when you talk about the difference and, and also, yeah. like I said, some great questions that listeners could start to ask themselves if their beasties start showing up or, or when them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Soon after this podcast, yes. you'll probably be inundated. We're just going to warn you. Yes, I love um, that. Yeah. Yeah. So guest beastie was kind of the way I thought about like an animal or a creature that comes, you know, maybe for an hour, maybe for a day, maybe for six months. You know, you just are seeing them regularly and they're just there to help you with a particular thing. So it might be something so simple that you're you know, down and out and a butterfly flies in and lands on a flower near you or lands on you and just reminds you of the profound beauty of life. You know, it's just, you know, that there is beauty despite how horrifying things seem right now in your life, you know, or, um, so, so that's the idea. Or maybe there's, you know, like every time you go on Facebook, you can, you know, it's moose that people just handing you coffee with a moose mug and somebody's like, Hey, like start nicknaming you moose and some project (laughs) you're on at work. And you're like, my God, I cannot, I can't escape the moose. Like it's tracking you down. So you might be just curious, like maybe it's there to help you with something that's going on in your life. Um, core beastie is sort of my, my sort of term for originally that came from when I heard the word power animal, I just, I had no relation to that under that word. I mean, it just sort of didn't do much for me. And as I began to understand what it was, I, I now understand like, you know, a power animal is really there to empower you. Um, but at the time it just didn't have a lot of resonance. So I had to sort of claim it for my own. And I started calling them core beasties because it's like core, like the core of you, you yeah. know, and sort of once you make this connection and discover who your lifetime beastie is, which I recommend you start with one. Sometimes as you start to be open to this work and you do more and more of it, you forge a really good relationship with one, you'll, you'll get more, but start with one because it's sort of, um, like a friendship, you know, it takes time and, uh, an investment of your energy and, and that to, to maintain it. Um, but as you begin to connect with that one beastie, you'll begin to uh, kind of embrace all your strengths and begin to do what you came here to do <laughs> in a more meaningful way. And and it's just really beautiful. I, I love helping people to connect with theirs and then to find out, you know, how they work with them. And yeah, marvelous. That's, so that's great. Yeah. And, and I love that um, even you'd mentioned earlier with the walrus, it doesn't and you just said like if you're seeing a picture on uh, social media or something, because yeah. for me, not knowing um, much about that um, genre of, of kind of spirituality, so to speak, I until, you know, I started looking at your book and, and listening to you talk, I didn't realize that it doesn't have to be an in-person encounter. You know, it, it can right. be something like you mentioned. And I thought, oh, wow, well, that that makes things a lot easier because. I don't actually. I do have friends that have some goats um, in a farm not too far from here, a, a nonprofit land reserve, and there mm-hmm. are goats around. But goats aren't something you typically see in nature. But you know, now right. hearing that, it's like, oh, awesome. Um, yeah, deer, of course, are much more apt. And and my girlfriend's core is definitely a bat. Um, mm-hmm. She loves bats, and those you see uh, frequently here in our area of Connecticut. Um, but so the, the other part of that question, which I'm, I'm really curious about, what are some questions, um, that you would recommend asking when these things, these BCs show up and again, whether it's in person or as simple as social media, wherever it may be. Yeah. Well, if you're, well, first of all, if you're just wanting to know what might be the message, you could just ask yourself, well, there's a couple options. You could just ask yourself the simple question, 
Well, first identifying what's going on in your life. So maybe, okay, the last two weeks you're really struggling with your boss or struggle with your relationship, your partner. Mm -hmm. So figure out what it is you're struggling with. Then ask yourself if this is a kind universe, and that's a good, that's a good premise to try these on. (laughs) Even if you're not sure you believe it, try that. Sure. If this is a kind universe, what might this beastie be trying to show me with the way it is acting, with the way it is being? Um, and if you're stumped, you know, again, researching, do a little more diving into learning more about whatever the beastie is, you know, and how they thrive and what kind of, you know, living arrangements they enjoy, what kind of food they eat, um, and sort of looking at it all metaphorically. And of course, you can consult a guidebook like mine where, you know, I've asked the spirit of these beasties to come forward and share, you know, what message would they like to share? Mm. Um, and some, as I said, you know, sometimes it's something so simple, you know, just, um, maybe you're all flustered and thinking, Oh my God, I've got to make a decision about this. Like go right or go left. I've got to decide now, you know, and you see this squirrel curled up on, you know, and resting Mm. and you realize, well, maybe all I have to do is just, you know, rest and wait. Yeah. You know, that more will more will be revealed um, or yeah, the, the messes are really profound and they can come in. You know, I just oh, I heard this most amazing story this morning uh, on a different interview where this woman was so ill. She was in the hospital and her she had already identified that her core beastie was a deer, mm-hmm. was a stag, actually, you know, like a, a, a buck, with, yeah. you know, with the antlers. And while she was very sick in the hospital and. Uh, she finally ended anyway, she turned the corner, she, she survived and she went home, but was still very shaken by the experience of being so sick and so perilously close to living and dying. And her neighbor said, you know, when you were at the hospital, something weird happened. And she's like, what? And he's like, well, this, this big buck leaped in over the fence into your yard. And then he hung out in there for a while. And she's like, what day was that? And it happened to be the day that she was like, between life and death, like in her fever finally broke and she was able to get out of, you know, eventually left the ICU or whatever it was. Mm. And she's like, are you sure? You know, and he's like, listen, I'm a hunter. I know what a a good looking book looks like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, so she felt that somehow that connection was that she felt like that was the miracle, you know, and that this, this book was kind of showing her in, in that the way that it was being reported in that way that, there was something deeper going on, right. <laughs> you know, Yeah, and really beautiful. So, well, that's, I, I love that. I think that's great. And, and what I like to like the squirrel, for example, the, um, that you mentioned, like maybe just, you know, to, to relax and, and, um, be a little more gentle and that, mm-hmm. you know, that while I was looking at your book, you know, I remember thinking about this experience that, that, uh, I had had and I was like, oh man, I wish I had read this book earlier because then I could have thought to ask some questions but you know and and listening to you speak it's like you know what I got exactly what I needed in that experience and so essentially what it was um, we're going back maybe like three years give or take and um, I had gone through a divorce and I was you know of course like most people go through a divorce emotionally um, distraught and especially because I, I was very much missing my stepdaughter and I was walking in the backyard of my parents' house, and there was this area where when we would be visiting there, 
um, we would play my stepdaughter and I all the time. She was, mm. that was around the ages between like five to eight years old. Um, so, you know, very imaginative, like a lot of just really, really great memories. And at the edge of their yard, it dips down quite a bit and it goes into the woods. So I'm out there walking this day and uh, I'm by myself. My parents had gone out um, or I'd gotten there early, I think, to visit them. And so it was a it was an overcast day. It was a very light drizzle, like more of a mist than anything. And so it just added to that sad experience. And I was crying a little bit and I got to the to the back and I was walking around where we would play. And then I got to the very edge of where the backyard stops and I looked down about I'm not great with um, guesstimating measurements, but I don't know, maybe a hundred feet. So so not very far at all. There's a deer, and it's not that it was anything um, out of the ordinary to see a deer because they were always around. However, this deer was laying down, and I had never, maybe once or twice, seen that, but I had never seen that um, really to this extent and up close that in, mm. in such a personal way. And so it looks up and it sees me, and I expected it to get up and run away, and it stared at me for maybe 10 seconds and then turned its head back and just laid there. And I got a few feet closer and it's still laying there, looks back at me, looks away. And I stood there for at least 10 minutes. And in that time, there was a sense of of just stillness and peace that came over me. It wasn't that the sadness went away, but there was um, it was as if and this you know might sound weird to listeners, but it was as if that deer really helped bring some semblance of peace around mm-hmm. this situation again not alleviating it but a, bringing a, a level of allowance of acceptance and but it got to the point where I started worrying like oh man I wonder if this deer is actually hurt because mm-hmm. I've never had this kind of a encounter with a deer so I started to take a couple more steps forward about 15-20 minutes into this and that's when it got up and it ran away very <laughs> healthily and I'm like oh phew part of me was sad I'm like oh no don't run but then I'm like I'm glad you're not injured so right. that I gotta say Sarah that was such a deeply like uh, just a heartfelt experience one that even right now as I'm sharing it with you and I've probably only shared that with literally like three or four people in my life it's not something I talk Mm -hmm. about not because I'm embarrassed it's just I don't know I don't really have people to talk to about that so I'm excited to share it with you and I've never shared it on the show before so all that said you know do you have any thoughts on that or I mean yeah well I mean I think these things are just so profound and they're beyond words and if you've had an experience I mean I would say to anybody who's listening if you've had an experience that felt the way that Chris has felt with that deer where you just feel this profound sense of connection and like there's some sort of communication almost or portal or relief or something has opened up between you and another beastie it's like that's a really I always think like a strong sign that that could be one of your you know your core beasties so that's can be one of the one of the things but these things are yeah they're just so like they don't um they're hard to explain to other people because they're in that numinous field of beyond (laughs) beyond our imagination and 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 profoundly healing and and restorative i mean i just last night i was in just the most foul mood oh boy it was Mm. real bad and i so i went into the woods into the backyard and it wasn't like 45 seconds into walking around there now i didn't run into a deer but i felt that same feeling like the Mm. whole forest was just you know, breathing yeah. for me, like 
it's okay. You know, yeah, I'm still mad about whatever I'm mad about. And that, you know, I still had like, like, as you say, it doesn't take it away, but it definitely soothes it. There's right. something like the immediacy or the burn of it or the sing singeing of it, or whatever <laughs> gets cooled, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I, thank you for sharing that. And, and, you know, it was important for me, I think, to, to share that story too, because honestly, and, and this is no surprise to the audience, I am certainly one of a skeptical nature. Um, I think there is something to be said for a healthy skepticism in life, not overly, you know, skeptical where you close yourself off. But I, that's what I love about the Buddhist teachings is, you know, he said, look, don't take my word for it. Try it out and find out for yourself. And I think that's one of, if not the greatest teachings, um, offered in in any spiritual circle. Um, so important for me and, and one that I remind myself of constantly. And anytime I give talks or write in books, I say the same thing, you know, we need to find out for ourselves. So I can imagine Someone, you know, potentially listening and saying beasties, you know, spirit animals. I don't know about that. I get it. I trust me. I understand. But I'm telling (laughs) you from this experience, it, it, yes, it it was one of the most hands down spiritually beautiful experiences I've ever had. And, and yeah, I didn't, the deer didn't like send any telepathic messages (laughs) to me, but no, I know it was an inner knowing, not a mental reasoning, but it was just that intuitive knowing that it was there because it was absolutely supposed to be there. And uh, just really what a profoundly beautiful experience. And then the one you share about nature. Now, this is where I might lose some people. I, I, I'm sure you'll resonate. But I had another experience years before that running where I was at the end of my runs. I like to walk and just stretch out my legs and let my heart rate lower. And I stopped and there was this one tree and I just stood there. And it was one of the most mystic, like almost completely non-dual experiences I've ever had where there was just such an aliveness of this tree. And it was like this pulsating thing between this body-mind mechanism that is Chris and then this tree. And I don't know, it was I, I was just so aware of the interconnected relationship and I'm in recovery that said I've I've had no shortage of psychedelic experiences in my (laughs) life prior to recovery I'll tell you though this was one of the closest experiences Sarah that I've ever had not under any condition Mm. of psychedelics that's the best context I have to put to it it was so incredible but it's it Mm. is literally something similar to in my own psychedelic experience where it's like you or I really did have experiences where that veil is dropped and you see the pulsating isness of life beyond the, just the ego conditioned uh, lens through which many of us see life through. So I'm not yeah. advocating take psychedelics, you know, just, just make that clear. I'm just saying, but it's, it really is a profoundly beautiful experience that uh, is available to all of us. If we're just here in, in, in the, in the now, literally like Ram Dass says, be here now. It's not just a cliche saying. There's some real heavy beauty and wisdom to those words. So anyways, to take all that and cycle back to um, to the Book of Beasties, something you do talk about is uh, how it's a two-way street, this relationship between you and your core beastie. Can, can you uh, elaborate on that? What does it mean to, to have a or for it to be a two-way street? 
Yeah. So there's this concept of sort of in shamanism of, you know, right relationship or in, in the Caro people call it Aini when you're in balance, you know, that there's this sacred reciprocity. And so, you know, that goes on in the village, but it also goes on in this between the spirit and the material world. And so um, it might look like, you know, you can do, honor your core BC, however feels good to you. And I have, you know, I talk a lot in the book about how to figure that out. Hmm. It might look like, you know, supporting financially organizations that protect the land that your beastie likes to dwell in, hmm. <laughs> you know, whether yeah. it's the ocean or whether it's, um, you know, some other place, it might be, um, it might be, for example, for myself, I journey often, which means, you know, just go on a drumming journey. So you may want to yeah. take it to this deeper place. And I visit with my spirit animals and I, you know, ask them how they're doing. And we, you know, we converse and, you know, do things like that. I also, um, another beautiful way to sort of remember and to honor, celebrate, um, your spirit animals to have, you know, artwork of them around. Um, mm. and it doesn't have to be, uh, obviously identifying, you know, I, I was reminded yesterday that, you know, and I talk about this in the book that not everybody chooses to identify their spirit animal or who they, who they love, you know, to the yeah. world. And uh, for me, some of mine do like to be known. And I think in those teaching contexts, and cause I'm a writer, that's <laughs> mine, you know, are right. okay to talk about. Um, but you don't have to share it with anybody. I mean, this is something so sacred and personal that, um, but you can, yeah, celebrate them that way in, in honoring them in images or making your own art. But there's just a million, like there's a million ways to kiss the ground. There's a million ways. And the way that you will honor yours is best just to come from your heart, you know, I it love feels that. good. To so let's say someone's listening, um, Sarah and, and, okay, we've won them over. Maybe they were a little hesitant towards this idea, but now they're like, all right, I can see how there's, there's some, some cool stuff happening here. How, I mean, this might sound obvious to some people, but maybe not for, so for the benefit of those who might not be obvious to, how would you suggest they go and, and even begin at square one to start to identify a core beastie? Yeah. Well, you might just, you know, you could look back in your childhood. Yeah. Um, so you could go, well, oh my gosh, that's right. I had a stuffed parakeet that I, you know, like they had to pry out of my hands at age 12 when I went to camp or, or you know, some sort of special relationship that you had with a wild, especially under the age of 10, because I think that's a time before society gets to us and, you know, begins to teach us that it's not okay oh, to... Yeah. <laughs> you know, love these things the way we naturally do. Yeah. Um, or maybe when you were a kid, you ran to the zoo and you were always obsessed with getting to the the tank where the beluga whales were, or, you know, whatever, whatever it was that you were drawn to as a child can be a really huge hint. Sometimes people just instantly know. I mean, I found this really difficult to bear, especially because at the beginning I could not figure mine out at first. I had a very hard time because I was trying to go about it intellectually. Like I had medical school and everything else, you know, like I'll just make a checklist and then I'll prioritize <laughs> and then I'll figure it out, you know? Right. And this is not a logic of the mind. I mean, this is logic of the heart. And also, you know, these, these animals choose us, these spirits choose us. Yeah. So while we may want it to be something, it may be something totally different. And usually what happens when you discover who it is, you'll kind of get a, mm -hmm, like a knowing kind of an aha sense, like, oh yeah, that's right. It's kind of been there all along. Mm. So another way is just to be kind of pretend you're an anthropologist in your life and sneak around your house and think, okay, now if this person had a spirit animal, what would it be? Because sometimes, you know, maybe you have 
koalas on your curtains and you've got koala sculptures and like everybody's like but of course you're a koala everybody's known that for 30 years like <laughs> but you didn't know you know it's kind of hiding in plain sight sometimes yeah, yeah. um and sometimes you've been nicknamed that beastie um so yeah there's all just sorts of interesting things but if you're like me and you're really stuck in your head the way i was yeah. one of the best ways is to go on a guided shamanic journey where somebody drums for you and talks you through this this process of going into entering the spirit worlds which again it's okay to be skeptical like mm. i was so skeptical about this but um i've created a little recording so if you're listening and you want to try something like that you can set your intention and then you can listen to the recording there's one at my website you can get access to if you just uh sign up for the newsletter at followyourfeelgood.com awesome. and yeah and you just Go and see what happens. You know, like Chris said, like, don't take my word for it. Because trust me, I was like, this is sounds nuts. <laughs> I mean, who, why hasn't somebody told me this is like, this is a thing. Right, um, right. And then what I discovered was so loving and so amazing. Um, and I still was skeptical afterwards, you know. But sure. over time, with time, I began to build a relationship with it that really changed my life in the best possible way. And I, and I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I just had a conversation with um, Elena Brower, another incredible oh, yeah. Sounds True author, and um, and she'll be on the show soon. But I was kind of unrelated. I was talking to her about EMDR therapy and how I've recently begun doing that over the past few months. But it echoes what you're just saying in the sense that it is so simple that I was like, this can't possibly be real. You know, like even though I'm mm -hmm. having these almost instantaneous profound effects in my life. I'm like, no, you know that again, that skeptic voice is coming in. I'm like, uh, -uh too easy. No, sometimes things in life really can be that easy. So whether it is yeah. a particular therapy or working with a, a beastie, you know, that that's why I, I love the opportunity I have to do this show and, and speak with so many different people and, and, you know, to have you on and, and talk about this stuff because absolutely why the hell not you know why can't <laughs> these animals be incredible you know um guides in our lives if if you know a guru can be or a teacher or whatever um i mean life is the ultimate guru in, in yeah. a sense so why can't an animal be just as valid of a guide as uh, a sage or a yogi so i think that's it, it, this is lovely and so I mean, we still got some time. There's two things I definitely want to talk to you about. Um, one of them is you mentioned shamanism a few times. So I'm guessing most people are familiar with shamanism. But for anyone listening that's not, can you give kind of a brief overview of what shamanism is? Because uh, you <laughs> yeah. mentioned that and drumming and journeying. Can, yeah, right. can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So shamanism is sort of this, I mean, it's such an insufficient term to describe yeah. this set of tools and technologies that have been around for thousands and thousands of years and are, you know, embedded in shamanic cultures all over the planet, you know, from Australia to Norway to Brazil to Colombia to, of course, this, this, this land we live right on here in North America. Mm. Um, and really the shaman or a person engaging in shamanic practice, the quintessential thing that they're doing is that they're altering their consciousness, mm. typically using drum, some sort of sonic driving, drumming, rattling, didgeridoo, altering their consciousness so that they can go access these spirit realities, which are filled with love and compassion so that they can 
bring health and healing to their communities and restore balance to individuals and to communities when balance has been lost. Mm. And really in shamanism, the overarching view is that everything that is, is alive and everything is interconnected and we're all part of, we all belong. So we're all here. (laughs) We all belong. And, uh, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's pretty amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I was going to, I wanted to, well, you may want to talk more about shamanism too. And I was just going to say too, I wanted to just touch on the shadow aspect of oh, the beasties because yeah. I think, you know, when we talk about gurus or spiritual paths or even like working with a shaman as a teacher or something yeah. like that, um, I think that, yeah, it's so important to address the shadow. Um, right. and one thing that I've found really powerful is to, when you're ready to look at some of the beasties that really scare you or really disgust you. It's funny you say that, sir, because that was my second follow-up talking. I love that you, you're bringing that up because you talk about yeah. that too, the, the quote, bad beastie or quote unquote, yeah. you know, the rats, bats, snakes, things that I actually love um, personally. Well, yeah. snakes, I'm a little scared of, but the, the yeah. you know, I, I love those otherwise kind of feared animals, but yes, uh, please continue i'm so glad you brought that up yeah um and i tell a story um in my first book swimming with elephants the other book that you mentioned that when i was after my sabbatical you know i i was like boy i'm thinking i i need to maybe leave medicine but i'm really scared and i don't know what to do and during that time this I asked one night for a dream for a beastie to come to help me with this quandary that I was having. So I was feeling very lost. And that night I had a dream of a black mamba, which black mambas are like Mm -hmm. the most poisonous viper on the planet. Right. And I was like, I woke up just like, (gasps) because at the time I was also in South Africa. And earlier that day we had had a different a green mamba, like fall off our porch and like land pretty close to the house. And it was pretty freaky because the door was open and it was just a lot of concern about like safety and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, eventually, I didn't. I wrote it down. I drew it in my journal, and I was like, "Yeah, eh, Mamba, I'm not ready to deal with you." But mm. months later, I realized that I needed to go face her, and and did so through a process of uh, going on a shamanic journey. Yeah. <laughs> now that we're back on that topic, yes. and she had this very powerful message for me. It took me a couple times too, because the first time I went, I, I really panicked, but I was like, I need to deal with her. She wanted me, her invitation was like, you need to get up and dance with me. And, um, and I didn't quite understand it at first, but as I began to dance with her, I kind of got filled with this. I really, I I kind of blew up like a Macy's day parade balloon, if if that makes sense and kind of billowed over her. It was really strange, but it was very peaceful. And when I came back from that journey, I sort of wrote down this idea that, you know, power is, you know, experiencing real, actual, unadulterated power is actually very peaceful. Mm. (laughs) Um, But the process of claiming it, you know, is really, it's sort of up to us. And like, I needed, at that point, I needed to get up and dance, meaning I wasn't going to lie on the couch and manifest a new career in healing somehow. Right. You know, I needed to start talking about this, start working with other people, start offering and experimenting with this. Um, so this thing, you know, whether the beastie appears in your dream and scares you or whether it's something you're seeing on a regular basis and it's grossing you out or you're just disgusted with it. When you're ready, just be curious, like study this beastie, find, ask for clarity, like how is it here to help you? What is it about this? Because every single, um, you know, creature has sort of 
we might say like magical powers, you know, yeah. like we know cockroaches, like, I mean, we could, they're going to be the first ones to make it after a nuclear, you know, they'll be the first <laughs> yes. ones to recover. So maybe it's tenacity that the cockroach is trying to show you by, you know, lurking behind your bathroom toilet or something. I mean, I don't know, you know, whatever your sort of nightmarish beastie is to just be curious because, um, they may be there to show you something, you know, and I think the, the Mamba was definitely there for me to claim my power, which I had not been claiming. Right. Well, yeah. So go on, go on. I'm, I'm glad you touched on dreams too. Cause I know that's something you talk about in the book, but if you had more to say about that by all means, mm-hmm. but I uh, would love to hear about dreams as well. Yeah. And there's so much judgment in our world about different animals being good or bad. Just yeah. like there's so much judgment about people being good or bad or institutions being good or bad. And it's just um, like Disney has, you know, done a number on us, for example, like vultures. I mean, they're like you might if you saw a vulture right now, like, oh, my gosh, you know, they're so bad. They're so vile, you know, because they deal with death. Um, But if you look in these ancient uh, cultures, like, for example, you go to Peru, you know, the the relative of the the vultures, the condor. And the condor, I mean, there's marvelous mythical tales about the condor. I mean, the condor was the one who had the bravery to, when the sun was moving too close to the earth, to go and push it away, even though it was like a a life-threatening assignment to do that, to push it a little bit farther away from the earth so that everybody could live. And so it burned all its feathers away from its head and, you know, ended up, you know, not looking and maybe as glorious as some of the (laughs) full-headed feathered birds. Um... So like another thing is just to explore mythology, especially if there's a spider, like maybe you hate spiders, read about the mythology of spiders, because that might be a less threatening way for you to kind of approach them and see if any of those myths that you run into have anything to do with your life and what's going on in your world. Good point. Um, I'm going to have to really read up on snakes because as much as I love them in pictures and tattoos and think they're awesome, when I see them in person, I... Oh man, <laughs> I still struggle. I still. Struggle. I was just reading about um, the Temple of Asclepius, right back yeah. in Greece. Yeah. So when you get sick, and I mean, forgive me if you are out there listening and you're an expert on this, and you're like, "Well, that's not quite right," but I'm going to get it partially <laughs> right. But you would go to the Temple of Asclepius, mm. which was full of snakes. Now I don't know if they were literally snakes or symbolically snakes, but you would sure. go and you would lay there hoping for a dream, praying for a dream to come to you as you rested. And once you had your dream, then the shaman, the healer there would help you to work with that, to figure out how to, um, you know, how to heal. And that's that symbol of healing. We see that snake wrapped around the stick, which was, you know, the the rod of the Or is that the caduceus? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Oh, no, great point. Um, Yeah, so... I, I, I've got my work to do, which is great. That's, again, why I love having these conversations with so many diverse individuals. Um, so as we're starting to wrap up, I, I one more thing I definitely wanted to ask you about. Again, I know I've already mentioned this a couple of times, but um, the the inside of this book is just absolutely lovely. And along with each beastie, there's portraits and so many wonderful, uh, like I said, just information and guidance. But can you talk about the portraits themselves, how they're set up, um, you know, and, and the work that uh, is there to be done with them? Yeah. So each beastie has sort of a big, like four um, kind of, uh, what do I want to say, sort of themes. Like mm-hmm. I just cracked the book open to Dove, which apparently 
dove or pigeon. I mean, I, I think they're both in the same family. Mm-hmm. And so the themes of dove are good news, carriers of messages, guidance, and adaptability. So kind of you get some themes. Mm-hmm. And then there's a little paragraph to kind of get you into sort of what is it like to be a dove? So you're sort of diving into like into your essential experience of being a dove. Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole paragraph about why dove might be showing up for you. And I I always, how I wrote this book was I opened a ceremony at the beginning asking all the BCs who wanted to be part of this to come forth, you know, in their spirit form and share what they wanted to share. Uh-huh. And, um, and so th- this is what was shared with me. But I always like to say whatever, whatever it is that you sense or you just know is being shared with you, that is the most important thing, you know. So this isn't so much like I'm the beastie guru of all messages, <laughs> you know. This is just a guidebook, you know, to kind of get you thinking. And, and it can be used as a divination tool too, like right. we just, you know, opening it randomly. Yeah. And then there's on the second page you have like, a chakra associated with each beastie, a beastly practice. So like if you've got pigeons and doves showing up in drones, then um, I'll give I'll give you the example of the beastie practice for pigeons and doves. Um, mm. Let's see, pigeons and doves are on a very short list of animals like elephants that demonstrate self-awareness in mirrors. Before you jump in the shower, stand naked in front of the mirror in all your human gloriousness and say your name and what you love about yourself and then shout, well done. For example, Sarah, I love that you get the garage cleaned out last weekend and that you only had one and not your usual four Pinot Grigios at the Christmas party. Good job <laughs> showing up and being good to yourself. Um, you know, these are playful ideas. Some of them are more serious and more, um, but I think that was one of the things I really wanted to do with the book is really invite people to consider these ideas in some buoyant way, you know, that it was playful and that this, this work is meant for anybody. It's not just limited to somebody who's in a shamanic training program or somebody who is, um, you know, like a pagan hippie, like myself running around, you know, like burning things all the time, as my (laughs) children like to tell me, you know, this is something, yeah, anybody can play with. Um, and it just depends on how deep or loose or, you know, or how superficial you want to take it. Um, and then there's a section, like if you're struggling with your relationship or in your job or your creativity is blocked, you know, um, how to, or you're, you know, you're a creative entrepreneur, um, how to maybe pigeons are showing up. What, what might be that message? Mm. Um, yeah. Well, that's what I love is that this book, yes, you've got that A to Z. I mean, that's the subtitle. It is an A to Z guide to illuminating wisdom of spirit animals. But aside from that, there's so much more going on. I mean, the first 61 pages, you have your introduction, you have a quick start, you have the practices of working with, with beasties, you know, and, and it talks a lot about what we've already talked about and so much more. So it's not just this book of like, here's the animal, here's the information. It's, it's engaging, it's entertaining, um, very insightful. And then you even have, which is great in your resources, you have a, an app, what the walrus knows for iPhone and iPad, um, which is really cool. Um, you know, something where it, it's just an, uh, an extended, um, almost, uh, I don't want to use the word curriculum, but extended resource, uh, yeah. for you in your, your beastie journeying. Um, <laughs> I absolutely love that. So, you know, b- before I give you the, the, um, kind of last word here, which I, I love to give my guests, cause anytime you're discussing a book, which I know all too well about when you're in a conversation, there's only so much you can talk about in that roughly hour or so. 
And, uh, and I often say, you know, we're really just beginning to scratch the surface of really what is in this book, because I mean, you've got here, what, over 350 pages of, or 350 pages, give or take of incredible information. So it's obviously beyond uh, the scope of what's possible to really uh, get into um, in super deep depth in an hour. But all that said, again, I like to leave my guests with, with the last word, is there something you would like to talk about the book that I didn't bring up, um, a message for the viewers? Uh, but before we get to that really quick, something that's um, been poking at me since I said it earlier was um, I made a comment about not that I'm saying go take a bunch of psychedelics. I want to be very clear, though, that I am also not anti-psychedelics. And I know that sometimes with shamanic journeying, there are certain things involved with that, whether it's ayahuasca. And I also know sometimes there's not. But I just want to be very clear that um, just because I am in recovery, I am super open-minded to those things when they are part of a healing journey, whether it's under a shamanic context or not. And this is more to the audience there and not to you. But I like Absolutely. to just be very clear that um, just because it's not something that I personally partake in, I am super open minded to that stuff. I am very grateful in my own life to a lot of the psychedelic journeys that I had because they certainly played a role in opening and expanding my consciousness. So as I say with pretty much anything, as long as you're not harming yourself or others, to each their own. So I just wanted to put that caveat on there because I didn't want to sound like I have a stick up my ass about psychedelics. <laughs> Hell, I, this show's on the Ram Dass network. So obviously you got to be pretty open-minded. <laughs> but all that said, to circle back around, Sarah, um, I, I want to leave the last word um, to you. And, and again, if there's anything we didn't address in this book that you want to share with the audience, any topic, um, I the floor is yours. I'd love for you to have that. Yeah, well, I just think that, I mean, I'm just so grateful for this kind of aspect of the world being cracked open to me that summer eight years ago, because it just changed my life and helped me to begin to encounter the world in a more, um, in a more magical way. And that mm. sounds so trite, but how do you put, like your encounter with that deer, how do you, how do you explain um, that, that good feeling that you get and that understanding? I think what the, doing this work and just starting by even just simply observing the animals around you and what, what is going on in your world, um, this work can help you to understand on a deeper level that you belong here and that your work is here and it can show you and give you the courage to do the work you were meant to do and to do it in a good way. Um, and so I guess that's, that's my, that's my big, my big hurrah is that I want to invite people to do the thing that scares them, you know, repair what breaks your heart in this world, because I think we need all hands on deck right now. <laughs> well, I love it. And I couldn't agree more. I think that is a super lovely note to, uh, to end this conversation. And, and the last thing I will personally leave the audience with is, you know, when this book arrived from Sounds True, I love Sounds True. And 99% of the stuff they send me, I think is a great fit. To be totally transparent, when I saw this book, Sarah, I said, um, I don't know. But as soon as I cracked it open, it truly, truly did win me over. And as anyone who listens to the show knows, um, I don't have guests on that um, their work doesn't uh, call to me. And it doesn't mean that I'm too good for them. It's just if it doesn't really resonate, I don't, you know, it doesn't resonate. No harm, no yeah. foul. And this was one of those books I thought that might be the case, but it really, once I, I, I look at every book with an open mind completely, and this book 
absolutely won me over. I, I really adore it. I think it's wonderful. It, uh, like I said, fun, insightful, engaging. Um, just so many good things happening. So the book, again, is called The Book of Beasties, Your A to Z Guide to the Illuminating Wisdom of Spirit Animals from Sounds True Publishing. came out in July of this year, 2018. It's available everywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or my favorite, your independent retailers. If they don't have it in stock for any reason, they can certainly order it. So if you have a little patience, they'll get it in for you. Please support independent local um, bookstores. They need your help now is more than ever. Um, so with all that said, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And until next time, thank you so much for joining us. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.